Traveling the Vortex. We have joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and arrive at episode number 45, I mean 421. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? <laughs> I'm well. Pretty good. I thought we shot back in time over a minute. <laughs> not quite. Not quite. Did you guys have a good week? Did have a good week. Do anything fun? I'm Ace, uh, I'm Mason. No. Mason and I uh, watched uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. How was it? Man, it's so good. So good. It's uh, It's a great, fun, enjoyable film. I, I had this is how much I liked it. I we rented it on iTunes and immediately after I purchased it. It was wow. that good. So liked it. A lot of fun. Nice. Did you guys see anything? We started watching the Umbrella Academy. Ooh. It's okay so far. It's not as bonkers as the trailer makes it look. But it's enjoyable. I'm I'm intrigued enough to keep going. We're four episodes in. I'm ready for episode five. So we're I'm almost up, halfway there. We're only up to episode two thus far, but of course Patrick's making us. Oh, week, you got to watch week it week to week. Week to week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the Umbrella Academy as a as a graphic novel is probably my favorite comic iteration of anything of ever. I've never thought. read it. So. Oh, it's so good. It's just. It's just. And I've I've read it and reread it and reread it and reread it and every time I come away with it and I appreciate it more and I find out more things about it and I find little nuances that just make me fall in love with it all over again. I mean it's just it's just that good. And I've kind of when they announced this, it was one of those oh this is going to be so great. I hope <laughs> because there's very little chance of them being able to do that comic justice. Right. And in the two episodes I've watched, it's not bad. It, you know, it, it's hitting some of the right notes that are, you know, it's it's nothing that's wrong enough that I'm going to complain about it. So, oh, that's good. So there's that. What else have you been watching, Sean? I went to the library and picked up a copy of uh, Den of Thebes. This okay. is the earlier this year, well, last year now, Gerard Butler. Mm. Um, it's like Heat, <laughs> where uh, the, the, the guys are pulling a bunch of bank robberies in L.A. and there's the special crimes unit that's trying to track them down and stop them. It's very much Heat. It's, it's like somebody who plays a lot of Grand Theft Auto Five was like, I'd really like to remake Heat, and then did. <laughs> and it's really long. It's like two, two and a half hours. What is Heat? It's Heat. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's, and it's very drawn out, very cat and mouse, very dramatic, and then there's a huge gun battle in the street. I'm like, man, this is Heat. And uh, then you get to the very, 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 very end, and they pull a twist. And it's like... And Val Kilmer shows up, and <laughs> Robert De Niro, and Al Pacino. Well... Wow! It, it is heat! It, it, it's a um, it's a Kaiser Soze level twist oh. that all of a sudden oh. is like, oh, okay, now I don't know if I can use this comparison, because you, you actually may have elevated yourself above... The whole movie was just going, so like, you're just trying too hard, no, you're It's not gonna, heat until oh. it becomes Usual Suspects. Yeah, <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much. It, it was. I'm still fighting with it, but man, that ending was kind of like. Mm, I might have to give you that one. Hmm. How was uh, How to Train Your Dragon three? I don't think you talked about that last oh, week. It's so good. Is it? It's you know. It's rare that you get a. It's rare that you get a trilogy that the third one's you know just as good as the other two, live action or otherwise. It's mm-hmm. really rare when it's animated, and I I feel like it's just as good as the other two. I watched Shada. Again, no willpower. How was the animated version? So, for anybody that hasn't been watching my uh, Facebook feed, I finally broke down because I wanted the Blu-ray version of Shauna. I didn't the silly things on DVD in North America, but they still have not released the Blu-ray here. And after what has it been a year? Because it was December of seventeen that it came out in the UK, and then it came out last year on DVD in the US. I wondered how well the animation would work in it and surprisingly it works well it's 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 obviously not seamless because it's live action and animation but they do a really good job of connecting the two and they've put a lot of care in making sure that it it comes in seamlessly and and it, I, I was very very impressed <laughs> 
It's the same animation company that animated Power of the Daleks. Um, I think they've certainly stepped up their game for this one, although there's are you know arguably much less they had to animate for mm-hmm. this story. But it really does. On a certain level, it works pretty seamless. And do you guys remember seeing the clip of Tom now integrated into the story? Oh, yeah. The way it's done is actually also seamless and clever. And so uh, I don't want to... Oh, this is going to be a mini review because I don't want to go into it too deep. Perhaps we're not getting a Blu-ray disc here because we will... Maybe they will include it with... What would that be? Seasons, as they call them. Tom Baker season six. Because that would have been in that year. So Or in that, that era. That, yeah. That, that could be. So I wonder if maybe happen, they're though. just going to... Well, I don't know. They're, they're we're getting we got one, and we, you're getting seven. So there's only four more to do in there. So or th- five more to do in there. Right. So I'm just saying, who knows how long that might take? Well, that's true. Well, that kind of leads into one of our news items. Yeah, let's go into news. They've announced the uh, extras for the Macro Terror DVDs. <laughs> so this is Blu-ray and DVD extras include. Episode reconstructions, audio commentary, a bonus mini episode, a 10 minute, 10 minute animated short built around an otherwise lost Doctor Who episode from 1968 starring Patrick Troughton and Fraser Hines. I have no idea what the story could be, but I'm intrigued. Uh, then, of course, there's typical animatics. Uh, on disc two, there will be a black and white presentation of the uh, animation. So you get color and black and white. Uh, 1992 audio presentation, so the BBC audio collection version of the Macro Terror. Uh, behind the scenes film, uh, and a couple of other things. And if you get the steel book, you get gridlock. And all the <laughs> bonus features that come with gridlock. <laughs> it's a pretty steel book. It is a pretty steel book. It is very pretty. And I like the artwork of it, too. It's the same company that did Shada and Power of the Daleks. So, obviously, they're very happy with <laughs> with this company. <laughs> they're continuing with them. So Now, the reason I say that ties in with this news is because here in the U.S., we haven't got a release date for Macro do have we? I don't think so. I don't think we've... They've... I don't... I have not no, seen an official they, announcement uh, even for if they keep with North the, America. If they keep with the tradition of Shada, in about a year, I'll probably be ordering the <laughs> Blu-ray from the UK. Which, well, that to what you just said, that makes me wonder if maybe here on this side of the pond, maybe we're done with individual episodic releases because everything's going to be going to season format. Could be. But they're doing season format over there as well. Although, arguably, Doctor Who sells better. Oh, classic Doctor Who sells better in the UK. So, well, If you believe annoying. Amazon, the U.S. release date is October 8th hmm. on DVD only. No announcement of a Blu-ray yet. Hmm. Which is what they do with Shada. They waited right. about eight months and then they released. Which, did? do you guys know, did BBC One ever play Shada? Not BBC One. Um, BBC America? BBC America. I thought they did. See, I think that's what they're doing. They're they are they're hijacking the release schedule of the U.S. version so they they can have first run before they release on Blu-ray or DVD, which is annoying because well, I'm fine with it from the standpoint that I mean, they're treating it as a, a a true multi-platform marketing push and using you know the the the, the oomph of BBC America to kind of go, hey, look at this, but it would make more sense if you then like this will be available next week right right and right. You know. i think my thing is what what annoys me about it is they're waiting six to eight months because of scheduling and i think they need to truncate that yeah a little bit i mean they know when that's it's going to come out part. they know when it's going to come out in the uk they need to i think they need to make some adjustments to their television schedule get those if they want to be first run on there in america do it, but bump it up. Don't don't make us wait seven days. Yeah, months. especially if you want to try to curtail any pirating. Exactly, or somebody going to buy now region free Blu-rays because Blu-rays are now coming out region free. There's no region lock right. Blu-rays anymore. So, and the reason is because piracy on the physical media disc has become such a non-issue. It's all digital is where the piracy issues are. So, right. well, and and. Day and date release has also been thrown out the yeah. window, and and uh, 
uh, movie release dates or that that whole the, the, the shrinking movie. windows. Yeah, and, the shrinking yeah. windows of, of foreign versus domestic, and that's all happened to it. Too. You know what I'm most excited about with this is the fact that um, with you, you know how we were, I was all twitchy about the this cover it doesn't match the the, the rest of the line now. Uh, it's pretty much given me carte blanche to go ahead and just buy the steelbook because yeah, sure. it's like, well, <laughs> if you're not going to try, I'm not going right, to either. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a good way to look at it, Sean. That's it's true. Because it's either that or I ask you to mock one up for me. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't mind doing. I might have you do it anyway. <laughs> just put a slip cover over it that looks there like the go. rest of it and then pull off and go, ooh, steelbook. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> And that's it for news. That's all we got this Not week. Not a lot going on. No, there really isn't. Oh, I didn't mention that I picked up uh, uh, Peter Davison on DVD, too. Or on Blu-ray, Blu-ray. as well, too. So, nice. Yeah. So we need to get maybe some Blu-ray reviews on the schedule soon. Might Just have to do that. I wonder if we, we've got that in the works. <laughs> mayhap, mayhap. Mayhap. Um, is that really all the news? That's all I had. I don't doubt you, but I kind of doubt you. <laughs> well, let's move on to feedback. First up in feedback, Jamie. Jamie writes, Hello, Vortexers. Thank you, Glenn, for your reply in length. Still, don't mind the longer episodes, but it's understandable. I think that the sheer number of episodes these days might make people hesitant. And yes, family-friendly is what I mean. So this time I'm starting with episode 62. This is your coverage of Sarah Jane series one. I suppose we should preface this with saying we accidentally skipped this last week. This should have been read out last week. And we got a, l- a little out of order. We, we, we That's got one fault. ahead last week. Yeah. So. yeah. This is the previous weeks. This is why it seems like we're slipping backwards even further in time. (laughs) Now we're traveling backwards. (laughs) Uh, Coverage of Sarah Jane Series 1. I've never seen that series, so I really can't comment on it. I've kind of stayed away from it because it's very much a children's show. I know Doctor Who's considered one as well, but this one's even more so. Moving on to episode 63. (laughs) Your discussion on Bond. Don't you know? James Bond is a Time Lord. There have been seven so far. They can recast six more. (laughs) Kidding aside, I'm not a huge Bond fan. From what I hear, the arc that carries through all of Daniel Craig's Bond films makes Quantum of Solace a bit more bearable. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Something to think about. Maybe Sean and Glenn should make a James Bond 101 side trip similar to the Star Trek 101 side trips you did. Ooh, That'd be fun. I would be up for that. I'd be down for that. Up for that, down for that. <laughs> we that seems to... about right, yeah. <laughs> Next he's going to be left for it, and then right for it. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Based on your comments, I don't think I've actually seen Attack of the Cybermen. I look forward to watching it when I get through my re- watch-through. It looks like one of the better ones. I might also listen to the first season of Lost Stories and then the Sixth Doctor and Evelyn arc before Trial of a Time Lord. The Sixth Doctor is one where I've seen a few, but it's been so long I remember little. Despite having seen over half his TV runs, surprisingly, when looking at the list of his serials, my main exposure to it has been through Big Finish. I don't mind Silver Nemesis. I understand why people don't like it, but it wasn't horrible. Maybe I'm just more forgiving than some. I thought there was more going on between the Doctor and Lady Pinafore than what actually made it on screen. And Silver Nemesis is one that sprinkles hints of the Cartmel master plan through it. A lot of what Cartmel wanted in it was removed through script writing, editing, and so on by J&T. If I remember correctly, this was supposed to bring up the question, Doctor Who? And I think that hurts the story the most with it not being there. Could the Validium show up in the Time War? That might be cool. Lady Fancy Pants' mode of making it to the present is actually the work of Fenric as is the time storm that took Ace to Ice World in Dragonfire. I agree that Seven and Ace is one of my favorite pairings. The scene you guys mention about blowing up the spaceship is an excellent example. I don't suppose you've completely ignored my instructions and secretly prepared any Nitro-9, have you? What if I had? And naturally you wouldn't do anything so insanely dangerous as to carry it around with you, would you? Of course not. I'm a good girl. I do what I'm told. Excellent. Blow up that vehicle. It just oozes fun. (laughs) One of you, I think it was Glenn, mentioned that they don't like the Seventh Doctor's version of the main theme. I'm sorry, but the Seventh Doctor's version and the version that played during Series 4 in the specials are my favorite. Episode 64. Yay, more big finish. I just happened to watch the newest, at the time of writing, episode of Tardis Sauce on Big Finish. 
For me, I can't sit in a chair and listen. Like Keith, my mind wanders. So yeah, I'll listen while driving, doing dishes, vacuuming, mowing the lawn, etc. I think that apart from the sheer uh, number of available titles, the biggest thing keeping people away from Big Finish is the cost. Fans of shows and franchises tend to be completists. This is why they want to buy every issue or DVD or Blu-ray set or book or film. I've just calculated it. And to get the download versions of each release of the Doctor Who main range from Big Finish, all 247 of them, would co- I don't know that I want to read this number, <laughs> <laughs> would cost a person $2,208.53. The Companion Chronicles range downloads versions, 85 releases currently, would cost $749.20. So just two out of 30 Doctor Who related ranges, and for download only, and you're already shelling out nearly three grand. Your Barbershark Quartet at the beginning of the episode, or would it be a trio, sounded rather good. However, when you were trying to pick a song, you missed the Doctor Who option, Chattanooga Choo Choo, as seen in Shada. (laughs) (laughs) However, you included the Beatles, so that worked. Ah, minuet in hell. I really wish that the Eighth Doctor had gotten better audio stories with the Brigadier than this and Zagreus. And Zagreus is more Paul McGann and Nicholas Courtney than Aiton Brig. There's some good ideas in here. However, the Eighth Doctor getting amnesia has already been done multiple times in the BBC novel line. The American accents are exaggerated caricatures. I'm not a fan of the Demons from Hell storyline, despite what they turned out to be, and the whole thing seems rushed. I want to say that this was a rush writing job that had to fill a place of another story, but I'm not certain. I just didn't like it. Invaders from Mars. I enjoyed this one. I've listened to the audiobook of War of the Worlds and enjoyed it, and I found that this was just a fun story. It really sounds like McGann is having fun on this one. I think this is where he finally hit his stride as the Eighth Doctor on audio. There's things, elements in the story that don't match up with established history. And on first listen, you don't notice them or just think that they're minor errors that editing missed. But as you progress through the 8 Charlie arc, Storm Morning through Zagreus, you find that they're purposely stuck in there. Chimes of Midnight. I really, really like this one. It's a fun mystery, a nice Christmas special. gives us a good background on Charlie. It's very atmospheric. McGann takes a bit of a backseat here, but plays the quiet, subdued Dr. Well, especially after the fun romp he had in the previous story. The writer of this is Robert Sherman, who gave us the Holy Terror, Jubilee, and... What's that word again? Scherzo? That one. Scherzo. Scherzo. I cannot say that. From Big Finish, and then Dalek on TV. I have found his stories to be enjoyable on a surface level, and then they get quite deep the more you think about them on a second or third listen. On a side note, he also played the Mirka in Blood Tide. <laughs> Did not know that. <laughs> Having followed the Eighth Doctor through all of his audio adventures, I really feel that not getting a TV series is almost an injustice. However, mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed his audio adventures for the most part. He's definitely one of my favorite incarnations. I really enjoy the Aztecs as a story. I think it would be great to return to the Aztecs during the Spanish Conquest and meet the Cortez. What are your thoughts on this? Which Doctor Companion team would be best for this? Also, if you could choose one of the period event person in Earth's past, any time in Earth's history prior to 2018, for each Doctor to visit, what would it be? Are there any Companions who you would like to see paired with a different incarnation of the Doctor from their main incarnation? We actually talked about that in the previous episode that mm-hmm. uh, you're not quite to yet, Jamie. And finally, suggestion for an upcoming episode, maybe 450 or 500 as part of your 10th anniversary year, <laughs> would be to go back along your old episodes and maybe create a best of episode. I think that would be fun. That's all I've got for now. Only 352 is left at this point. Keep up the great work. Great show, Jamie. I think since Jamie's going through, he should he should give us some, a best of. <laughs> we'll take a week off. No, he just makes it to just get, clip them together. It together. And it'll be like when uh, Lucille Ball came on uh, Three's Company and did a clip show. <laughs> Jamie could be the uh, Lucille Ball comes in and there sets up all the clips and then plays them. We'll just call it Shades of Grey. There you go. <laughs> the three of us lie in a coma, and we're going back over the, the last seven, ten years of our show. Remember when this happened? Wasn't that great? Uh, Next right. up in feedback, William. William writes, Travel in the Vortex, episode 405, podcasting with Don Quixote feedback. Hello, Glenn, <laughs> Sean, and wow. Keith. Is he just getting to that, or did we... No, he's did just we getting lose to this? Did we, we lose we, this? We just vortex. got it Wednesday. Okay, so. good. <laughs> 41 minutes and 55 seconds into episode 405, podcasting with Don Quixote. Glenn remarks, 
In these kinds of stories, is there any room for the Doctor to be a superhero? I mean, that's what you're looking for, but I think when you make the Doctor a superhero that we got the previ with the previous Doctors, then you don't get a chance for Yaz to ask intelligent questions. You don't get a chance to develop side relationships and stories as much, and I think maybe that's what's happening. That shift has come off the Doctor being the greatest hero of all time every week, like we are getting sometimes in the past, and that's taking a side seat to better development of the characters in the story surrounding it. I totally agree with Glenn. Just after I began... I was about to say, did I say that or was it Sean? But no, I totally said no, it. No, you totally said <laughs> if, he, if he agrees with me, if he agrees, then I... It sounded I positive, totally so it had to have been you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Just after I began traveling the Vortex with you guys, there were moments of, here we go again, when the Prince of Potholes, a.k.a. Sean... Identified what he didn't like about an episode. <laughs> it's become a running gag to ask Sean what he hates about whatever is being reviewed. And at times, he's without a doubt a grumpy old man. But then, so am I. So please make room and move over because while I can overlook minor plot holes, others that are big enough to park the TARDIS in aren't so easily ignored. Sean, I'm with you on most of Series 11 inconsistencies you pointed out. There's plenty of room on the porch. We can yell at the kids to get off our lawn. <laughs> I discovered Traveling the Vortex while test driving a bunch of other podcasts. Some are very structured, some not so much. And what I, and while what I'm about to say does not describe yours, three tens, trends that convince me to stop listening, no matter how organized or polished a podcast may seem, are, one, hosts are making baseless, crazy predictions about Doctor Who. <laughs> Well, if you go back far enough. <laughs> for, for the love of God, do not go back to the back catalog. <laughs> maybe he means... Although those weren't... Maybe, ba some of those weren't baseless. <laughs> maybe he means consistent. There you go. Two, hearing one host's computer keystrokes as they Google for content while another host vamps or stalls. <laughs> and three... Oh, we, we outright say we're doing it. For, for the we're, love of God, do not go back. <laughs> we're going to Google that. <laughs> Flat and boring... Rush to judgment reviews that are amongst the first to be released because speed is more important than substance. Oh, no, that's never been us. No. That's <laughs> never us. I understand Slow how podcasts... <laughs> I understand how podcast producers get caught up in the moment with enthusiasm for new TV episodes. As a podcast listener, I can pick and choose which ones I let inside my head. But I don't have that option when it comes to the franchise proper because there's only one. Diehard Whovians wait out hiatus after hiatus, like waiting for Christmas or a similar event. Anticipation of such an event often is as, is as exciting as the event itself. And when it's not what we hoped for, we feel cheated, denied a reward for our patience and loyalty. But hey, it's only a TV show after all. Such sacrilege. In the first two years of first two full years of Classic Who, its annual run time was a. Uh, 1,125 minutes, 45 25-minute episodes per year, whereas in 2018, 10 episodes made for a total of 511 minutes. In terms of runtime, Classic Who more than doubles New Who, and Classic did it on a frayed shoestring budget. All of this is to say that Doctor Who isn't the production machine it once was, nor is it a crowdfunded direct-to-digital download series staged by amateurs. It doesn't have a big budget, but it takes itself seriously and has state-of-the-art production values. Unlike a prop, a costume, or a set, continuity is an intangible yet visible production value. In the olden days, continuity at it was a costly luxury. Nowadays, I'd imagine you can do that same job with a desktop computer using pocket-sized portable drives, which is to say, there's no comparing classic and new Who on some levels. Smartphones have probably replaced digital film and instant print cameras. Paper notepads, sketch pads, and other archaic tools once used for character continuity in terms of makeup, hair, and costume. That being said, tools don't ensure continuity. People do. The human element can make fiction plausible, suspend disbelief, permit entry into fantasy, and then promptly destroy it. Wonderfully creative minds construct episodic portals through which we escape this reality to explore others where fantastic adventures, compelling commentary, 
and worlds of what-if await us. Yet one continuity rough ruins the illusion. It seems scene and plot continuity aren't given the same attention as character continuity. Why? Is there a team whose job it is to call out continuity errors? Is such a daunting task just left to one individual? Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> Several sets of eyes may preview Doctor Who episodes before transmission, but ultimately its showrunner is responsible for the good, the bad, and the WTF. <laughs> because Chris Chibnall delivered a set of episodes that were unlike what most Whovians expected, he became a scapegoat, a scapegoat for sorts, uh, uh, of sorts for all that is wrong with Doctor Who. But how much of the remake was his doing and how much was at the insistence of the BBC? Because I don't know the answer to this, I'm willing to cut Mr. Chibnall a break as I look forward to Series 12. Despite its faults and flaws, Series 11 gave us a number of exceptional stories and moments that will stand the test of time. My apologies for the lengthy first contact email. Elsewhere in the Hooniverse, my handle is BlueBoxBill. And with that, I bid you happy travels as I continue my ride through the vortex with your podcast. P.S. Should you read this up, uh, into an upcoming episode of your podcast, we would like to keep it suitable for all audiences. Be advised that the WTF stands for Why That Frog? <laughs> <laughs> Bill. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Yeah, that's going to be my new uh, acronym. Why that frog? <laughs> I like it. I want you to imagine that uh, that GIF of, uh, of from Citizen Kane of the clapping because that, that's what I'm doing right now, Bill. <laughs> oh, good. Thank stuff. you for the email. Yeah, Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for sending that to us. That's it for feedback. All right. Well, let's move on to our review. Did you did you happen to notice on one of his stats, Keith, the uh, the how many hours of Doctor Who there were, there were produced? I did. There were forty five. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. All right. So forty five, an anthology. The first story, false gods. In the blistering heat of the Egyptian desert, Howard Carter and his team search for the tomb of. I cannot. I, it's, <laughs> The word typed out is user hat, but that is not how they pronounced it. <laughs> Let me give this a try. Scarab, beetle, beetle, pyramid, upside down. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. A servant of the god Amun. What they discover sheds new light on the history of the world as we know it. Yeah, this one was fine. I thought this was okay. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I just thought it ended too quickly. <laughs> Partially because I didn't know it was an anthology. <laughs> I, I, I agree. When it when it wrapped up and I thought, huh, okay. Well, that one's over. Wait a minute. <laughs> Is this an anthology piece? Sure enough, the next one started and, yeah, we were off on another story. But there was so much richness to the story that I felt like they could have really expounded on it and explored it, especially with Jane. And we get the reveal that Jane is a time lady. And then all of a sudden she's, you know, flying her TARDIS into the sun and she's gone. It, it's like almost a blink of an eye and you miss it. And you get so much set up and it doesn't feel like we get to explore the meat of the story enough. I had sort of wondered if we were going to get her showing up sometime down in the future and finding out that she may be. Because the 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 impl implication was that she was going to do it because she had to dump this thing because it was leaking and it was it was in bad shape and i he was obviously going to swoop in rescue her or you know materialize in there and take her out just before it crashed into the sun but she starts what i want to call her suicide note uh conversation with him about if she goes back will she you know she'll have to face punishment and it's going to be a pretty extreme punishment and he says yes and i, I sort of wondered if at that point maybe she did something because it obviously goes into the sun because they just dis mm -hmm. they discussed that but she did something that that maybe at the last minute allowed her to escape and she could come back because again i thought the character was it was an intriguing 
rogue character situation where it wasn't exactly her fault. No, what a cool idea that these yeah. are students that accidentally got stranded and, and had so, to And deal unfortunately, with it. because they broke some rules with, with time in order right. to survive blend in and I survive, mean, yeah. I think that... It, if she had gone back to Gallifrey, I would hope, although knowing the Time Lords and the Council, they <laughs> probably wouldn't have. But I would have hoped at least the Doctor could have interceded for her and been able to get her lesson sentences. But I, 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 I also like, as you said, I felt like the character, the richness of the character was lending to something bigger. And so I think that's why in the back of my mind, it's sort of nagging me that maybe this woman could show up again. Right. Um, I I did a little scooting ahead, and I didn't see anything that indicates that she's coming back. Nothing on TARDIS Wiki, unfortunately. But we still have, you know, Big Finish Main Range coming out. So, Who knows? Big Finish, if you're listening, <laughs> we'd like to see you get her out of that situation and see if we can bring her back and explore her. All those box sets more. and Companion Chronicles and other things that you've got planned, <laughs> eh, this one would be one that we'd be all right with. <laughs> right. Now... Perhaps I'm wrong. You took it as a legit suicide at the end that she. I kind of took it that she rabbited that she was well, like going to escape. That was my point. Was I the way it's set? It it's sort of set up. She's he says she's running, and so I thought, oh, she's just she's going to fly off and escape. That's what I thought was going to happen. But then, it's just because it was old and broken down, and that she couldn't control it and crashed into the. Oh, side. so you oh, think it so was accidental? Think... Okay, I can see yeah. that. I yeah, can, I can see, see that, that as well. Yeah. But I got the impression that she broke off from his because they were they were flying in tandem, but she broke away from him. Right. right. And that's when I thought she was going to take off and do a runner. Um, but so, what led me to believe that she. Took herself on into the sun instead of allowing him to to retrieve her, was the fact that she started questioning what the consequences would be, and I think she felt that her death with this TARDIS in this sun would have been preferable to whatever the sentence would have been that the Time Lords would have given her. So that's why I went that way. But I am open to the idea that maybe perhaps she was going to do a runner, but things went awry and she wasn't able to control the TARDIS gotcha. in one okay. audience. So. I think that's the, the nice way of the way they wrote it is it's open to interpretation. You can see it either way. Either she was trying to make a runner and things went wrong or she sacrificed herself to make sure things go right. Because it is a bit of a bootstrap paradox a little bit too. Yeah. She she very much became a piece of her own right. future. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that the, the one thing that... that I let them get away with in this story is the whole, well, the doctor will have to go back and write the hieroglyphs later. And they didn't yeah. leave it. And I, they, it seems like the first time you see that device used in Dr. Who, it's actually a funny, ha ha, you know, okay, that's clever. And, <laughs> and then, then it becomes a crutch. It becomes a crutch. And it, and even if they aren't using it as a crutch in this situation, I almost give it a pass because they are building just a 30 minute story. Yeah. But, on the flip side, when you continue to use that, then it, it, it goes into that whole Bill and Ted joke about going, you know, into the future. And remind me to go back in time and steal my dad's keys. my dad's keys, yeah. yeah. And remind me to get the trash can. And I, it just, so it becomes that to a point in Doctor Who. And so, like I said, I gave him a pass in this one, but I just don't like when they do that. I was also slightly disappointed that, you know, we get this god no one's ever heard of of time or whatever they call her. And obviously that's not a real Egyptian god. And I was kind of disappointed that it wasn't like a they needed to go back and fix it so that that god never actually happened. But as it is, it should still be there in Earth history. And right. I, I, it just doesn't quite sit well enough with me. Hmm. I think that's part of the also that's another, also, that's something they could have explored and dealt with if there had been a longer story. It also deals with... Uh, uh, gods that are not uh, Sutek and uh, <laughs> yeah, non Osiran gods. Right, non gods. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting that they kind of shoved that aside. Too. Yeah. And and is is Carter really going to go ahead and continue to look for for? Uh, I think he actually was the guy who found Tutankhamun, though. Right, but is he going to continue to look now that he's been in the TARDIS? Oh, I, I see mean, what you're saying. You yeah. Know. 
Why, why, he almost needs his mind wiped or why something. Why am I going to dig up dead guys from the past when this is going when on? I can, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of holes that are left from a 30-minute format. I agree. I, I wanted more from this, and I think the nuggets were there. And I understand, you know, the limitations of the format. And it, that's why it was, oh, it was an all right story. I don't know that it would have worked as a full-blown two-hour. But I think an hour-long story, you really could have done just a little bit more with it. And work some of those yeah. themes and some of those characters a little bit. And I agree with you. I think that the, the, the meat of it was, what's her name? Jane. Jane. Um, I don't know why I can't remember Jane. Um, I, I would have liked a scene where, I don't know, something sciencey has to happen while they're fixing the TARDIS. And the companions go run off to fix coffee. And the Doctor and Jane get to have a real heart-to-heart where... You know, she's talking about the pressures of Gallifrey and, you know, getting out on her first field assignment and what it was like and her hopes and dreams. And then this was her, this was the first chance. Right. And they crashed. And now she's stuck here. And, you know, all her hopes and dreams went up and evaporated. And the doctor's maybe relaying some of his stuff. And, you know, I, I just, I wanted that moment. Yeah, and, I agree. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, get there. you really couldn't do that unless you took this story out of this set because yeah. they were going to do a they were going to do an anthology set they'd done one for the fifth doctor they'd done one for the sixth doctor and in this format where they had four uh, different stories this was their turn to do the seventh sure. doctor well and this was specifically done uh the 45 for the 45th anniversary, anniversary. Yeah. so that makes sense as well and, and I, apparently know, again, they got some mind. big cast although i don't know how big he was at the time <laughs> howard carter you know who did his no voice idea who that is benedict cumberbatch Oh, is that right? Yeah. Huh. I'll be darned. I didn't know that until just looking at this artist wiki. Huh. So, so fun story. I knew Benedict was in this audio. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I listened to it. He's another voice in the next story. Oh, is he? Yeah. And I went and looked it up and I went, oh. And I was so disappointed and I thought you, you, I mean, he must. This must have been really early. That this was that was all that there was to it. And I didn't realize that he was Carter at the time oh. I was listening to it. And then I went back and said, "Oh, yeah, okay, yeah." So, so who's the voice in the sex story? He's one of the things locked in the third bedroom on the third. Oh, floor. <laughs> one of the Frankenstein zombies ah, okay. going. Ugh. It's like really. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Well, if you got him there you've already. Got, you've got Smaug locked up in the bedroom in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to Order of Simplicity. Let's, do, let's move on to Benedict Cumberbatch's <laughs> second story. And... Dr. Varyman has devoted his life to the advancement of knowledge when his experiments on a remote planet threaten the entire human race. Only the doctor can help if he, can put, if he puts his mind to it. <laughs> I want to give this one a bump, bump, bump on setting alone, just because it screamed Brain of Morbius. Oh yeah, it, it was just even even Ferryman was kind of like, that kind of sounds like Solomon, <laughs> just <laughs> the way his cadence and the mannerisms and everything. And then we got into the plot, and it was oh, it's another computer virus. Mm, okay, don't don't worry about it. Just just let it go. It makes people dumb. Mm. Really? Okay. Oh, the doctor's got this reverse forbidden planet krill machine that's going to boost his intellect. And he's been using it nonstop. <laughs> okay. And there's Frankenstein monsters in the attic. Okay. <laughs> it just, it just kind of kept getting weirder and weirder and weirder <laughs> as it went on. Almost like it couldn't decide which horror story it was going to spoof. And it, it fixed itself a little bit when Mrs. Crisp finally reveals that the order of the... Uh, That's where I felt like it went completely south. Savage. I was buying know. into everything. Even <laughs> really? even the over-the-top to- over uh, nature of the doctor. I can't, what was the professor's Ferryman. name? Yeah, Ferryman. Yeah, Ferryman. Merriman, Ferryman. I liked that. I it was liked just, the fact that it was, was you know, I was just, I was, yeah, I was buying into it, and I was just like, okay, this is weird where they're going with this, and I was kind of like you going, okay, um, but the yeah, when it when it reveals that the big reveal of her, it just, I thought, okay, you guys, you really were on the verge of 
going over the top, but then there you just you it was like, how close can we get before we actually do it? You know, and that, <laughs> that's where I felt like it went. Okay, the story went south now because I thought that was just a little bit weak and lame, but it, it was. It was like that that reveal. I feel like it fixed the plot element. Oh yeah, of the yeah. story. It, it gave yeah. it gave cadence to everything, but it it, it, or it credence it, rather. Yeah, it, but it kind of. Well, now it's not fun anymore, <laughs> and it's certainly not bonkers, and it felt like almost a farce, but now it's not, and I'm not sure. And then the crazy doctor who transmitted this virus out into the world, and he he survives. He makes yeah, it at the right, end of the right, day. Right, right, And, like, he's best buds with the doc, and they're walking out going, no, 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 no. It's like, mm. <laughs> You know, I, don't, I, should, I don't know about that yeah, one. I, and felt I, like the resolution was not very clearly conveyed either, other than they made a yes, boom. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think it was wrapped up a little too nicely with a bow. I, I, I really probably should have liked this because it really felt like a B movie plot, is what it felt like. Yeah. Um, but just yeah, it just and, and again, I was kind of just there along for the ride until they they turned it and gave it some explanation and then it was like okay this kind of went south at that point but i agree with you i don't think it felt like it had a solid resolution yeah it just felt like it kind of you know they destroyed the thing and then that's it whereas the last one i wish there was more of this one i was glad it was only (laughs) (laughs) i could not have i don't think i would have liked even more of it it was yeah. This is this is where I I caught the first reference of forty five, and it wasn't until I was talking to Keith last night that he reminded me, or last night, last week, that he reminded me right. where the, the reference was in the first one was the forty live forty five little figures, mm. and I remembered uh, the uh, intelligent the uh, IQ of drops the IQ to forty five. So. Yeah, so that's where I picked up. Went okay. There's the first instant of forty five. This must be going to be a theme. And, and then uh, it became a as, game. That was as far, yeah. That's as far as I had listened. And so when we talked about the forty-five connection in the first one, then I was like, okay, now it's a game. I'm listening yeah. for them. <laughs> yeah, I noticed um, right off the bat with because knowing that it was called forty-five when they oh, there's forty-five figures. I went, oh, okay. And then that didn't really go anywhere. And I was like, oh, well, that's just the, that's the convenient hook for well, there's one the theme though, of this. So there was only forty-four. <laughs> that's the convenient hook for the theme. And then they did it here, and I was like, oh, okay, there's the, you know, there it is again. And then in the third one, and I was kind of all set to just go, oh, well, that's just the... That's yeah, what's going on. That's just the name of the thing. But then they they do bring it around in the... Oh, they really <laughs> brought it around the last <laughs> one, but we'll get there. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't catch half of them in that one. No, no, <laughs> there's too many. Uh, casualties of War. Opportunity knocks in post-war London, but when a tea leaf steals from the wrong woman, it becomes a race against time to discover the truth. Only some truths are best left untold. Bum, bum, bum! I yeah, like this one a lot. I quite enjoyed this one. This one, one was pretty good. Such a heart, heart, <laughs> heart-tugging ending, too, I thought. Yeah. Nicely done. Nicely yes. placed. And, and that's what the strength of this is, is doing the... The continuity to Ace's family. Yeah, that's where the big strength and the big heart is. Also, the overall plot of you know this guy coming across some forge technology. Yeah, uh, was a nice tie-in to previous stories, and you know a nice little plot to to get you through it. But yeah, it was enjoyable. I really kind of thought that the the, the guy was going to be a little more. Um, I thought there was going to be more to this guy until it's revealed that he's just really kind of. He's a petty thief that found this device right. and really ended up in a in a situation of of control that he didn't really have control of. Um, so I was pleased to know that this wasn't some you know extraterrestrial that's come to Earth yeah. that's using technology. I thought it was nice to learn that he's this average guy that happened to be come across this stuff that, that that he got his hands on so i thought that was a nice element to it too and it was cool to bring the forge back as proper villains that they're still out there in some way shape or form and yeah. you know wreaking havoc and doing what they do well um i this is another one that i felt like i'd have been okay if this had been an hour long 
that it, it would have been nice to have more interplay between See, Ace and her family. One where I thought it was just the right length. I thought there was enough story and plot for only 30 minutes. I didn't feel like anything was rushed at all. I didn't feel like anything was dragged out to try to get it longer. And I think if we went an hour, things would have felt dragged out too much. I don't know. I think, because the, 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 for me, the, the the magic of it is the, the handful of scenes where um, Ace and her mother are together. But See, there, I think, there's only, like, what, two? But See, a, but I think that's, 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 that's the magic that of was it, the is balance. there is yeah, only I think you bit. could have overdone it. You certainly could have overdone it. Especially on the heels of, well, I mean, dis- distant heels, but after Fenric, I mean, it's revisiting her as an older child than she was in Fenric. So it's kind of, you know, you'd only want a little bit of interaction there as opposed to, you know, it being heavy-handed and Ace having a big influence on her mother before she was ever born. And that would have been, I think, too much. Yeah. And I like, like you guys said about the the guy that stole the stuff. I like the fact that it wasn't some big alien influence in Ace's family history, that it wasn't some, you know, meddling that she was always destined to be a part of the doctor, that it just kind of happened to be, you know, this weird thing that was going on that didn't really, nothing focused on her at all. Nice change of pace for... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It really was, yeah. Because you can imagine... They didn't go Moffat with it. Right. When when she she walked in the room, it was like, oh... As if to, you know, why? Why has it always got to be this? And then to come to find out, oh, no, it's not not, not about you at all. <laughs> what did you think about the, uh, the, the the doctor's not revelation with Hex? Not oh, that he didn't get around to saying what he mm. was going to say, that there's oh. more there? Yeah. I thought that was interesting that they went and brought it to that point because I kind of thought, okay, here we're going to get some information that's going on. And then they, they pulled back from it. And I thought, wow, okay, we have to wait a little bit longer on the uh, hex reveal or the information that the doctor knows about him. So when hex asked him, he says, uh, you, you were lying, weren't you? But how were you able to do that with the, it was just a time Lord trick is hex completely just giving the doctor a convenient out going. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. Yep. Right. Totally. Oh, I think so. Or, is there something to it where he was like, well, no, I was going to say this, but yes, I was going to lie about this. Was he able to, is, is there a certain amount of truth maybe to? I got the impression from uh, the doctor's performance that he was just letting Hex believe that he was going to lie. Yes, okay. exactly. That's the way I took it. As I well. think so too, but yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's best not to say anything. <laughs> And how does I, I've just also found it really hard to believe that Hex didn't know what VE Day was. Oh yeah, I kind of thought so too. It felt like a you know, well, we got to explain it just in case there's a kid listening who hasn't learned this yet. He's pretty contemporary. He's not from far future or anything. So he's from future, but not far future. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's not far future where it'd be long enough to 2021. They, yeah, they well. No, yeah, they wouldn't have. I just, I, I just, I have a hard time believing they still twenty third, twenty fourth century. I can see them that that the further away you get from it, the further away you get away from remembering exact years or dates, right. or even things that it's referred to as like VE Day or VD VJ Day or you know D Day or things like that. Um, so I think that if he had been from far future, I could excuse it but i agree with him being more contemporary future i just didn't feel and like 2021 was... was when he met the doctor he was born in 98 according to tardis wiki well still but he was oh, a millennial <laughs> <laughs> that totally explains no it. in theory there's born in 98 you're not a millennial in theory there's kids out there you know learning this now and you know they're yeah. still learning about the yeah especially know. you know if he did if he didn't remember something that was maybe a foreign war to him. I can understand him not understanding the dates. That's on his soil. You know, that, that that was recent for them. So at least knowing the phrase, what, and and what VE day stood for, not not necessarily knowing, Oh, it's this date. I didn't know the date until they said it was VE day. Oh, okay. Now I know what you're talking about. Right. But the fact that he didn't even know what VE day was in addition to the date just seemed too big of a pill to swallow. Mm. And it's a nitpicky thing, but I can, he's a smart dude too. I, I can kind of very easily see that one uh, just from the standpoint that 
at least here, you know, uh, American history is, is taught in two semesters, and it's kind of like, okay, Columbus discovers the, 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 the continent, and you go all the way up to the Civil War. <laughs> That's one. Yeah. And then from and the then Civil War to rush. how far can we get? Yeah, right. And, that's, and you don't always get very far. I and as I we continue right. to add history to I mean, I think we only got up to Kennedy when I was in high school. So that's, that's only another 10 years beyond yeah, VE Day. And as we continue to add you history asked, on it. I bet if you ask kids in the U.S. what VJ Day was, they might not know what it is. They might not know it's Victory mm, Japan probably. Day. So. They certainly wouldn't know the date. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely not. But uh, I just, I, I think it, they may not know the moniker of it. They might know the, the significance of it, but they don't think they would maybe necessarily as, associate with especially since we don't look at calendars like we used to. Uh, that's when true. I was young, calendars had those printed on there. Now we use digital calendars that may or may not have, you know, holiday information or significant days printed on them. So that... Maybe you something as off. well, yeah. Maybe that that, but I <laughs> yeah, mean, so they be. might know the significance of the events that happened, right? But they aren't Not necessarily going to know the the uh, the label for it. So, and he focused on medicine, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> didn't need history. All right. Well, let's move on to the word lord in a top secret military bunker deep beneath the Antarctic ice. A mysterious death threatens peace negotiations and can spell a disaster for the inhabitants of Earth. Can the doctor cross the T's and dot the I's, or will his efforts get lost in translation? <laughs> this was my favorite. Yeah. yeah. This was my absolute favorite. I thought this was very cleverly written. This was, again, I think so well done for the 30-minute oh, format. Yeah. Um, this is one that left me wanting more. Fortunately, spoilers, we're going to get more. Uh, and a good thing we came back and <laughs> grabbed this one because it's not going far down the road. Um, so I, I, I really, really liked the concept of an interdimensional being that is able to use uh, language in order to... Wait a minute, we've done that before. Uh, to, to, to come across into our dimension. Uh, I thought it was really clever, and I thought the way that they did it, uh, him naming himself, no one, nobody, no one, or was yes. it like oh, flip flopped? Nobody, no one, nobody, no one. Yeah. So, so either way that you used his name in a phrase of no one can come in here or nobody can get through that door, right? It, it working both ways, I thought was very, very clever. I liked the infiltration because of the language and because of that, particularly that one joke that did get him, that was kind of the, the, the nexus point for it, I thought was really, really clever. A bunch of delegates <laughs> at the South Pole, they did explain that a little bit, and I think it's sort of, I felt like they were trying to connect it to something in Classic Who, but you guys are giving me weird looks. So well, I think I, they I, were through um, Clara, Clara, uh, uh, whoever the, the woman. Claire. Oh, that was Claire. the other thing that I thought was really cool is that she shows up and says, you know, she knows him. Yeah. <laughs> But I didn't get a chance to do the research to figure out which character she was supposed to be. I'm assuming it was According to Battlefield. Tardis. According to Tardis Wiki, she's it's not. Yeah. She's, she's not. No, she's not connected. Yeah, really cool ideas. Uh, I like the idea of nobody, no one, and how he was able to infiltrate and how they were able to trap him also into the book. And then, of course, he gets free. But, you know, I, I just really enjoyed the story. This is, um, not only was this a fun story, and so, I don't want to say puzzle box, but it was, it, it was just as you, you know, it starts off innocently enough. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're in this military facility, and you're thinking base under siege, and then it is, but it's not. It's a base under siege story unlike, you know, one that you're normally told. And then when he shows up, and you're like, ooh, how is this going to work? And then he kills a bunch of people in the TARDIS. And you're like, whoa. How does yeah. that? And then he brings up State of Temple Grace, but not <laughs> for me. I'm from another unit. Oh, I mean, it was just one of those, you know, little surprises, one after another after another. And they kept just peeling these layers back and revealing a little bit more and a little bit more. And so as we got deeper and deeper into the the revelations of it, it, it 
it did remind me, at least on the surface part, of um, Shakespeare Code, using yeah. the language to, to do it. But it's kind of like, and I hate to pick on it because I, I enjoyed Shakespeare Code, but this is how to do that story right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, was, this was just a better version of that story, really. Because you didn't have to deal with the supernatural elements, right? And or, or the witches. Yeah, and... it just you know, oh, we're just we, no, we're just it's another dimension. Boom, done. And it's like, okay, great, because there's a lot of more science there, and it's just e- easier and cleaner. You I know. Agree. Um, and then to to pin him into the book and use the translation circuits, which was another nifty. You know, when they mention it at the beginning, it's just kind of a one-off joke. They want to know why they don't have to use their translators anymore. <laughs> oh, that's right. cute. But then that winds up coming back into play when they when they reverse it. But then he gets out, and you're just like, oh. Which, of course, I was super excited because I want more of this guy. Was, I know how I linked this in my head. The comment about future uh, World War, a uh, Cold War, the future Cold War. It would have been the second Cold War that was referenced in, that is the events that are happening in Warriors of the Deep. And uh, this, to me, felt like a prelude yeah, to where they had gotten to in Warriors of the Deep because of all the delegates and they're all having to gather because they, they, they we were on the brink of a second Cold War. That's what I was linking together in my head was the fact that the, the, the war has is is has elevated and has gone into uh practice or whatever by the time warriors of the deep comes about so that's how i was connecting it i had to i had to go back and read some of the dialogue again because i know i picked that up somewhere so okay i'll give you that um the other thing that i thought was really interesting is when the uh word lord uh, materializes in the tardis and shoots the the uh, the other delegate or shoots the other five delegates and or I think he shot he six. shot the the who six six delegates yeah and he shot uh, <laughs> well and he shot the uh, the the second in command guy too and I don't remember who it is that brought up well my first thought was well he can't hurt anybody in there because of temporal grace but then stepping around that I thought that was really clever how they did that. It was the the moment when the gun goes off and you're like, oh, well, oh, well, whatever. Because, you know, that's not going to work. And then Ace is freaking out when we come back. And, right. you know, you just killed. And I was like, oh. So then the next thought is, well, this must be one of those stories in which the doctor has been lying about Temple Grace <laughs> and that it's not really a thing. But then when he himself says, oh, well, it doesn't apply to me because I'm from outside the, this universe. Right. Yeah, that was just like, oh, okay. I thought the same thing. I thought, okay, is this one of these things where they're fudging it because we're not sure the doctor lies? Like isometric controls. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there were so many, uh, when when we're getting the tour of the facility and they're explaining how secure it is and that we, oh, we wipe everything after so much time and we do this and it and went on and on and on and on with these security procedures and you're just like, why do I need to know all this stuff? Well, because we're getting there. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know, this right. is all going to come back into play later. And then it does. You know, Oh, man, this was so cool. And he did such a good job tying it all back in. Yeah. So there, there were no dangling threads. There were no... It, it, it is just an... It is a puzzle box. It's just a nifty little... It's like time heist. But... What else has Stephen good. Hall written? Have we had anything from him before? <laughs> Nothing else yet. Wow. So more coming. Nothing else yet that we have reviewed, or he hasn't written anything else yet? Nothing no, else that we have reviewed. He's written okay. one other story that we have not got to. Which one? Death a in Death the in the Family. family. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've gotten to it. We're getting there. <laughs> With a very familiar villain. Get off that page. Get off that page. The other page told it to me, That's too. why I said spoilers. He's yeah. coming, because uh, that was the first thing I did was look up <laughs> the words word lord well good anything else you guys want to talk about about these four stories all right well. i enjoy the anthologies i you know i know i complain about them going oh i wish it was longer and i wish it was a, and you know well in this situation there was and i think we all agreed there was only one story that we really felt could have been yeah solidly more i think even this last story in the in this in the bunch was uh just kind of really the perfect length. Um, I wanted to know more about the wordsmith. I wanted more of the character 
because it was so developed, it was well well developed, but it didn't feel like it had to go on and make this you know episode lengthier. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm with you. I like the anthologies, and it and occasionally I think we've both said I I I would have liked more from this, right? But overall, it's it's kind of nice to get to sit down in a two hour period and get four stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a nice change of pace to switch it up from the, you know, two hour long individual stories. I that, just, that sometimes feel padded out. Yeah. 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 I just wish that sometimes we'd get, you know, as, as they're putting these together and was like, okay, we've got four stories that we're going to do this for. And then maybe they sit down and read the script and you go, you know, there really feels like there should be more here. Let's take this one out. Yeah. yeah. And right. we'll throw in another half hour one here so that we can still do the anthology but we're going to go and do a little bit more with this and see. I don't know. That's just me. Well, but. I think you could still do two-part anthologies, too, where you're doing oh, yeah. you know, one, yeah. one one hour. We've seen those before, and another one one hour. Or, or we have, we've had some that were an hour and a half and then 30. Yeah. Uh, so you certainly could do that. And then, you know, down the road, you've got more stories to do that kind of anthology storytelling, too. Yeah. And I totally get it. I understand Big Finish is trying to, you know, evoke that, that fondness, that remembrance of this is how Doctor Who worked. It was right. four installments and like, that's cool. But you don't have to do that because there was a lot of classic Who that was stretched out too long. Yeah. Well, and there was a lot of classic Who that was, you know, three episodes or two episodes too. Not always four. Some were shorter. So I'm, Especially I'm, in Sylvester's run. I really like the hour-long format. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sean, what do we got come up on the schedule? Well, I think there's a book next week, isn't there? Yeah. I believe so. I probably should start reading that. You haven't started? No, oh not yet. God. I think I'm halfway through it right now. So, so that's a, that's a next week's uh, uh, surprise book. <laughs> <laughs> surprise. All right. Well, is there anything else we need to touch on before we close this show? I don't think so. I don't think so. That's going to do it for this week. Until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. And I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.